I would imagine that some of you are familiar with the name Sting. You used to sing for the, for the rock group Police. Maybe some of you know his name. Okay, maybe nobody knows his name. Am I the only one? Thank you very much. There's one sinner like me out there. Brian, thank you so much. He did songs like Every Breath You Take, and he, he sang with the police in Fields of Gold, which is really a beautiful song. Well, he wrote an uh, autobiography, and in his autobiography, he tells about his first bass, bass guitar that he built, that he bought. And it was in, in an old music store, and it wasn't necessarily a brand new bass guitar. It was an older bass guitar. And in his autobiography, this is what he writes. He says this about this old Fender bass guitar. He says, I have had my eye on a secondhand Fender in the back of Barrett's music store. It is a care-worn relic of the 60s. The paintwork ruined, the varnish flaked and piebald. I had to look that up. I mean, speckled. Uh, Among all the shiny others on the wall, there is something orphaned, something life-scarred about this instrument that appeals to me. I have absolutely no desire for a new bass. I want something with a history where every scratch and dent in the varnish has a tale to tell. What were their dreams and aspirations of those who owned it? Why was it sold, and what were the circumstances of them selling it? And then he said this, I am convinced that I can pick up the trail where it was left off. I will dream up a new and glorious future that the past is only hinted about. And he bought that bass guitar. I love that story. And there's a reason why I love that story, because... I think in many ways it parallels the Christian life. I mean, we come to Jesus beaten, battered, torn up, bruised, a lot of things going on in our lives. Maybe we beat down. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes alongside, and because we put our faith and trust in him, what he does is he gathers us together and he renews us. He makes us new on the inside and allows us to experience a new and wonderful quality of life, the way that we live. He's constantly renewing our lives. Jesus grows up in Nazareth. And on one of his first preaching assignments, he stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth, the hometown that he's grown up, and they hand him the book of Isaiah the prophet. And he opens the book, and he reads from Isaiah about how the Messiah would come, and he would radically alter his life. The, da- the, the, the deaf will hear, the lame will be able to walk. Uh, those who are with leprosy will be cleansed. Uh, the dead will rise. And he says, and the favorable day of the Lord will be proclaimed. That it ends there. And what I did was I looked up Isaiah chapter 61 and looked those verses. And you know what the next verse is? Isaiah 61 verse 3 says this. He, the Messiah, Jesus, will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That beautiful? How he wants to radically change our lives through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, through people in the, in the context of community. He'll radically change us and renew us on the inside. Ultimately, what he's doing is he's conforming us in the image of his Son. So if I can use the words of Sting, if you will, and paraphrase them in my, in my own way, I would say this. I am convinced that Jesus can pick up the trail of my life before I became a Christian where it was left off, and because of my faith and my confidence and my daily trust in Him, He can create my life to be something wonderful, glorious, and beautiful. Not because of me, but because of who He is and what He's done. And I believe that's one of the central thoughts of the book of Colossians. Paul is saying, listen, will you look up? Look up to me. Let your, let your heart and your mind focus on the things above. And as you Focus your mind and your heart on the things of God. I'm going to radically transform your life. 
And they had experienced that. You know who they experienced that from? Not from Paul, from, from Epaphras. Epaphras somehow heard the message of the gospel, probably through Paul. So through his living, through his faithful teaching, preaching, the way that he modeled life, the people of Colossae began to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, and they put their faith and their trust in him. And as they watched Epaphras and how he lived, they trusted Jesus and they came to know him. Their lives were radically changed before him. They were now renewed. They were now new creations in Christ. They were now new people. But they weren't problem-free. Listen, when you come to Jesus, there is no guarantee that you will be problem-free. You will continue to wrestle and struggle with this sinful nature that lies deep down inside of us. So amidst the false teaching that was going on there, amidst the false teaching that Paul is trying to confront them with, they're also confronted with the reality of this thing inside of them called sin. Can we say that in the church? Can we say that people struggle with sin? That you've not, we're not perfect. We don't measure up. We make mistakes. That sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes you get a little wanky, if you will. Can we say that in the church? A new believer is going to struggle with sin, maybe habits. And I think what Paul is doing, Paul is reminding the people, you know what? That's true in the book of Colossae. There's going to be people who are going to struggle with life. You realize that Paul, Paul struggled in life? The same person who wrote the book of Colossians wrote in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. He wrote these words. Listen to these words. Listen to Paul, all right? The one that we love and embrace, the one who is is the the foundation of our faith in many ways. Notice what he writes in Romans chapter 7. He says this. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. This great apostle, this great servant, this great theologian, this great author of so many books says, listen, I struggle with the very presence of the sinful nature inside of me. I do the things that I don't want to do. It's just wrestling inside of me. And if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, there's this wrestling with God in walking in obedience, old and new. Even when you look at the New Testament, Paul confronted my hero, Peter. Paul confronted him and said, Peter, you're, you're acting like a hypocrite. You're acting like this way around this group of people. And now you're acting like this. You're a hypocrite in the book of Galatians. And the beloved John, the beloved John, this one who loved Jesus, he says this in 1 John. Chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we have a propensity, if you will, a bent towards sin. Is that true? Or we just kind of left the word off when we don't want to talk about those kinds of things anymore? I am in Jesus. Christ lives inside of me. But there is this propensity, this daily battle that you and I are going to face with the idea of sin in our lives. Martin Luther, we all know who he is, right? Started the Great Reformation. He um, attached the 95 Theses of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, right? We all know that Protestant. Started the Reformation. You know what the first thesis is out of the 91? It's this. Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. 
You get that? Did you understand what he's saying? He said, listen, we need to be in a mindset, a place where we are aware of who God is and what he's done for us, and that when I get off the mark and when I sin, I, I need to repent and turn to God, and I need to trust him for who he is and what he's done in our lives. It's this idea of continually coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, please forgive me for the things that I've done. So what Paul is doing, he's got to this place in the letter. He's trying to direct him. He's saying, listen, keep your mind, your heart, your thoughts on the things above. Now I need to encourage you about some former things that you used to do. You're falling back into some bad habits. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to remind you of who you are and what Jesus has done, that you've put off the old and you've put on this new foundation of following Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it talks about this, that we have been renewed by the putting on of something beautiful, and that's who Jesus is. And he says, you're being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. That's what he says, verse 10. You're being renewed in the knowledge of, of the creator. God is our creator. And since, and since the fall, this image of God has been marred in me. It's been marred in you. I, I bear Adam's sin. We all bear this idea of Adam's sin. And the image of God has been, been marred because of this sinful propensity. And what God is doing is this. He's, he's making us new. He's renewing us on the inside turning us into something beautiful from, from ashes to beauty. And, and what God is doing is he says, listen, what I want to do is this. I don't want you to live. I want you to go back to that former way of life. I want you to know and trust me for who I am and what I can do for you in the future and how you can live out your life. Listen, God's not trying to renew us to be a better person. He's not trying to renew us to be successful or effective in my family, my job. That's a part of it. What he's doing is, listen, I'm renewing the image of God that's been destroyed in you because of the fall. And I am conforming you ultimately to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what I want to do. I want to renew you in such a way that you become more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. That's what Paul says. Notice what he says. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. You and I are being conformed, transformed, renewed into the image of Jesus daily as we look and walk and trust him for who he is and what he's done in our life. And what Paul wants to do this morning is this. He said, listen, what I want to do is some of you are looking back. Some of you are going back to some bad habits. Some of you are doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. Some of you are doing some things that were part of that former way of life. He said, listen, don't go back there. Don't go back to that place. And what we come to is we come to some really hard teaching. Sexual immorality, sex, the anger of God, the wrath of God. The way that we live, the way that we act. Paul has some really serious things to say about the way that we live and about the way that people were living back then. And what I want to do is I want to look at this as Paul saying, listen, I want to, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. So let's look at how God is renewing us on the inside as we walk through this passage. Number one, what is God doing? What is God doing as I put my mind, my heart, my focus on? Number one, he's renewing my desires. Look at verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What belongs to earthly nature? Sexual immorality, ouch. Impurity, ouch. Lust, ouch. Evil desires, ouch. Greed, which is adultery, ouch. Stings a little bit. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Listen, we are a culture that's inundated by sex. And immorality. It's not even called that anymore. Pornography is 
called porn. It's just a slight change of what it really is. And what we're doing for us as followers of Christ, we need to look at this from from God's perspective. What does God say about these things? Not about a culture, not about a world, not about the way that I used to them. What What does God say about immorality? And every day you and I are bombarded by sexual messages, whether it be on TV, whether it be music, whether it be media, all around it, Instagram. It's all around us now. We're bombarded by these messages. You realize that in 2019, the website Pornhub had 42 billion hits. That is 115 million a day. That was in 2019. I can't imagine what's happened in 2020, 2021, as everyone's been locked at home. We are inundated by these images and things of sex. According to the Journal of Sex, it says this, men think about sex 19 times a day. Women think about sex 20, uh, some 10 times a day. We're bombarded. We're surrounded by this idea that there's sex all around us. And we're hit all from every different side, these different messages about who and what we should do and what we should be. And I watched this past year as lives Families, marriages, businesses have been destroyed. I could give you name after name after name of people, lives, businesses who have been destroyed because of this area of using sexual desires in a way that is unbiblical. And what we have to do is we have to understand that God is speaking to us in a mighty and powerful way. What I do with my life, what I do with my body, how I live, affects the image of God, not only in me, but what other people see in my life. So that's how this is so important for you and I to know and embrace what God has to say on this. And Paul has some important things to say. He mentioned sexual immorality. It's a general term that says, listen, anything outside the bounds of Scripture, anything outside of what God would want for a marriage relationship is improper. Premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, any kind of um, uh, sexual uh, activity outside of the bounds of Scripture would would be not what God would want for us. So he, he talks about sexual immorality and purity. Impurity has the idea of taking something beautiful. God created sex. It's a good thing. He says, embrace it. It's a good thing in the context of a marriage relationship. But impurity has the idea of taking something beautiful and making it dirty and making it unclean. Taking something absolutely beautiful that God created and making it unclean. Lust or passion. Lust has this idea of of wanting something or something from another person. It tends to be focused on, on ourselves, what we want. You're lusting after something. We can't have it, so we lust after it. It begins where? It begins in our heart begin to look at things that we want. Evil desires has the idea of our, our physical desires have been divinely given to us by our creator. And what happens when we get motivated, when we get touched by our sinful nature, we begin to act and act in a way that's not uh, just evil, but it's unbiblical. That's what he's talking about. We're talking about behavior. We're talking about things that are in line with what scripture has to say, not our culture. What God is calling us to do and to be. And the last thing that Paul mentions is this idea of greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry. It means this, I always want more, a little more money, a little more of this. Isn't that the way that greed works inside of our heart? We, we think we've accomplished, and then we want a little bit more and a little bit more. And most likely in the context here of sexual immorality, we always want a little bit more of sexual immorality. Man, I can't tell you how many people I know who have been hooked 
find pornography from a computer. And they say it's really hard to get rid of. It's really destroying my life on the inside. It's destroying my marriage. It's destroying my relationship. It's consuming me. And what Paul is simply saying is, listen, we have to realize that there's behavior that we need to be mindful of, and we can't go back to that. And you know the words he talks about? He says, put it to death. Kill it. Mortify it. Get rid of it. It's that bad. It will destroy you on the inside so badly that we need to kill it. We need to destroy it. We need to get rid of it in our lives. What Paul is saying is, listen, don't go back. Don't go back to that old way of life. You have, been, you have been changed on the inside. You're putting on new clothes. That, that sinful nature now has the spirit of Christ living inside of you. You have the word of God now. Renew your desires. Renew those God-given desires. Renew them to be what God would have them to be, not what our world or not what our culture has them to be. He says, listen, I'm renewing you. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. Having put on the new self, we in Christ, having put on the new self, it's like putting on a jacket. It's like clothing myself. I'm clothing myself with the, I'm clothing myself with the person of Jesus, the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. As I learn, grow, know more and more about who Jesus is, what he wants for my life, I'm being taught. I'm, understanding I have knowledge about what to do, how to act. And what he's doing is he's recreating, making me renew on the inside. So Paul says this, listen, you're a brand new creation on the inside. You have a resurrection type of lifestyle on the inside of you. Cut the umbilical cord. Don't go back. Put it to death. All of these kinds of things, the habits and the practices that were a part of your former way of life, whatever they are, don't go back there, flee from them. And that's what he says. Listen, all these kinds of behavior, it mars the very image of God and who you are and how you have been now identified with Jesus. You're united with Jesus. Your life is now hidden with Christ. Don't go back to your former way of life. Let me ask you something. Are you being chased by something? Being chased? Joseph was chased, remember? Over and over in the Bible, When it talks about immorality, it says to flee. We need to flee. We need to resist the devil. We need to flee from those things. We need to run from those things. We need to turn. When when I'm fleeing, I'm going in the opposite direction. It's going behind. And what Paul is saying, listen, in the area of your sexual desires, align yourselves with who God is and what he would have for us because it destroys you on the inside. And it ruins the imago Dei, the image of God inside of you. What does God do in your life? He's renewing your desire to give you a heart and a passion for the right things. Second thing Paul wants to remind them, don't go back. Be careful. Don't go back to those old hamlets. He wants to remind them that they've been renewed in their standing with God. So we've talked about sex, which is always a fun topic in church, right? And and now we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Oh, how fun it is to be here today. Look at what he says in verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God has come. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the wrath of God? Storge, the anger that God does not like sin. In in our generation, some of you may remember the the sermon by uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Do you think that would go over well today? Even the topic scares us. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. What does God say here? He's He's saying, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's an uncomfortable topic to talk about, even in the church. So years ago, the PCUSA 
um, wanted to include a song. The, the Presbyterian Church of America wanted to uh, include a song in their hymnal. And the name of the song was this, it's In Christ Alone. Uh, but they had one condition. They wanted to change one of the verses. Um, they wanted to remove the line in the song that said, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to remove that. Well, the author said, I'm, we're, we're, not taking, we're not taking that out. No way. So they wouldn't have put that song in their hymnal. And a man by the name of Russell Moore, he followed up the controversy, and, he, and this is what he wrote. He made an observation about this, and this is what he wrote. He said, I'm hardly one to tell Presbyterians what they ought to have in their hymnals. But the gospel is good news for Christians because it tells us of a God of both love and justice. The wrath of God doesn't cause us to cower or to judge our neighbors. It ought to prompt us to see ourselves as recipients of mercy and of those who will one day give an account. If that's true, then let's sing it. You and I have been given grace in Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice to sin, he died for my sin. He atoned for our sin. And the penalty that was due me was placed upon Jesus. He has atoned for my sin. And you and I live in this wonderful thing called grace. We are in Christ and we are radically different human beings because of what Jesus has done. Let me just read a few of the words from the hymn in Christ alone. I was going to sing it for you. Beautiful words. Why would you not want these in your hymnal? In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Every sin that I have ever committed and I will ever commit was placed upon Jesus as the cross. And I want to sing and celebrate that in Christ alone. Every sin. The final verse goes like this. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ where in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Why can we say that? Because when Jesus went to the cross and he offered himself as that sacrifice for my sin, my sin has been forgiven. My sin has been atoned for. I am a radically new human being because of who Jesus is and what he's done. I am new on the inside. And the people at Colossae were the same way. They were radically new because they had embraced Jesus and they were continually being renewed through the power of the Spirit of God inside of their lives. Do you realize that today, in the good and the bad and the ugly and the hardships of life, God is renewing your life. He's conforming you to the very image of Jesus Christ and the things that have happened in your life. God is taking, shaping, moving in such a way to bring you closer and closer to him. You realize that only God can do that. Paul wrote to the people of Thessalonica about the wrath of God, the anger, the storge of God. And notice here, our first Thessalonians says this about us. And to wait... For his son from heaven, that's what we're doing. We're waiting for Jesus, the son from heaven, 
whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who what? Who rescues us from the wrath to come. He rescues us from the coming wrath. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of Jesus took my death. And he took my sin. He took it upon himself. And I'm free in Christ. The wrath of God has been removed. We should see this as a motivation to talk to people about Jesus. Because if you are outside of Jesus Christ, guess what? The wrath of God abides upon you. That's what John chapter 3, verse 36 talks about. If you reject Jesus' death on the cross for sin, the wrath of God for your own sin abides upon you. And what Jesus does when I put my faith, my trust, my confidence in him, it removes the wrath of God in my life. And, and I have to remind us this morning of this. We need to take the issue of sin, sexual sin, seriously. We have to. We just, just because we don't like the words, we don't like the framing, and it makes us feel uncomfortable in church, we, we have to deal with sin. It would be unrighteous for us not to deal with sin. Because God deals with sin. He does deal with sin. I mean, if you're a parent and you have children, you look back at your own life and your parents. My, my parents didn't just let me go and do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted to. What did they do? My mom and dad disciplined me for a purpose. They wanted me to be a better human being. God in his love disciplines his children so that we would be radically like him. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us to take the area of sin seriously. Notice what he says. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may what? Share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained. Listen, God disciplines his children because he loves us and he wants us to be committed to him and he wants us to be like Jesus. So what he'll do is when I get off the mark and when I get off track, the spirit of God, maybe the word of God, or maybe someone else will come up and say, Clint, are you getting a little wanky over there? Are you getting a little off track? Maybe you need to align yourself because what God does is God disciplines us because he loves us. So what does he do? He's renewing us on the inside so that we would be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing in our lives. We're doing our, renewing our desires, renewing the way that we respond to God, our standing before God. Number three, he's renewing the way that we use our words. Look at verse 8 and 9. But now, remember, he's, he's confronting them in a gentle way. But now, you've changed. But now, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. What, what, what God is doing, he's renewing us on the inside. He wants to change. He wants to transform us on the inside. There was a Tennessee farmer, and he once said this, what comes up in the bucket is usually what's down in the well. That's a proverb, by the way. We're studying Proverbs at 9.30 on Sunday morning. That's why I thought I would throw that in. Book of Proverbs, we read this, the lips of the righteous nourish many. Don't, don't you want to be that way? I want to be that way. 
I, I, I want to encourage people. I want to build them up. I want to help them in their, in their walk with Jesus. I want, I want my lips to make a difference in somebody's life. Man, I can't tell you how much I want to speak encouragement to my grandkids. You bet I do. To your young people? I says, the lips of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs 16, 23 says this, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. Isn't that interesting? That's the bucket illustration, right? And his lips promote instruction. Jesus said this, the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. And that great theologian, Charlie Brown, this is what he said. Keep looking up because that's the secret of life. Listen, what Paul is saying is, listen, there's some things that we do. There's some behaviors that you you don't want to go back to. Don't, Don't go back to your former way of life. And be mindful of the way that you act. Be mindful of the things that you say. Be mindful of your behavior and how it manifests itself. Because what's happening is the image of God is being portrayed in other people. And so he mentions some things in verses 8 and 9. He mentions anger. There's this latent hatred that just lies underneath the, lies underneath the surface. Ever seen an angry person, somebody who's angry all the time? Do you want to spend time with them? Can't we pick that out really quickly? Man, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that angry person. It talks about rage, that bursting forth. All of a sudden, things are calm and quiet. And all of a bursting forth in rage. And people are going, what's going on now? Sometimes in a home, you have to walk on tiptoes because you don't know when that rage is going to burst forth. Malice. It's an attitude of ill will toward people. You want to hurt them. Maybe this hidden, this, this quiet hidden agenda of the heart that seeks ill will toward other people. And what happens, it eventually begins to manifest itself into what slander. We want to destroy another person's image. We want to destroy the imago Dei, James chapter 3, the imago Dei, the image of God in another person. By what? By speaking words that will hurt them, that will damage their reputation. Never done that? Filthy language, crude talk, abrasive words. I don't talk about my former life a lot just because it's my former life and it's a long, long, long time ago. Uh, in the 80s when I was dating this gal, she, she told me one time, she goes, you can't go five minutes without cussing. I tried. I couldn't. How sad. If the mouth speaks that which fills the heart, man, I had the blackest, darkest of hearts. And he says, listen, don't be crude. Be mindful of what you say. Mindful of the way you use words. Is the word you're using refer to something else? We just don't use it. Be mindful of that. Because sometimes when you say a word, my mind goes to the other word. Filthy language. Are, are, are you wise in the stories that you tell other people? Are, are you wise in the male and female relationships? Are you wise in those things? He's talking about filthy languages, sexual innuendos. We don't want to be part of that. It leads to lying. What does lying do? Man, it breaks fellowship. It disrupts the unity in the church. It destroys relationships. When, when you have been lied to, when I have been lied to, what it does is it removes the level playing field. And all of a sudden, it puts us in a place where you're, you're, you don't want to, but your mind is constantly going, are they telling the truth now or not? It breaks something special and something intimate in a relationship, in a family, in a business. And what Paul is saying, listen, you need to walk away. 
you need to rid yourselves. Why? Because you have clothed yourself with something beautiful. You've clothed yourself with the person of Jesus. You're in Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ. You've put on the clothes of Jesus. Now live that way. Now use your language, your words, the thing that you say in a way that's positive. Am I looking for ways to build up, help, encourage other people? That's what it means to be renewed on the inside. I'm looking at the things that I do, not just my behavior, but my words. I'm looking at them in an entirely different way that says, rather than doing this, I'm going to build up. I'm going to help. I'm going to edify using my words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but what is helpful, building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 8 says, walk away from those kinds of things. Flee from them because they're not a part of our new nature. And what Christ wants to do is he wants to renew us. He wants to change us and he transforms us on the inside. It's not just about behavior. It's not about do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's about a transformation where I'm loving Jesus more and more every day And because when I look and I see Jesus for who he is and the beauty of who he is and what he's done, I want to be like him, and that changes me on the inside. You know, there's a TV show, I was just thinking about this, called The Swan. Remember that? Years ago, it's called The Swan, and people come in and they want something changed about their their, their, uh, uh, outward appearance. It was on for two years. And people come in and they do something to change their body. God doesn't want to change your body. He wants to change us on the inside, and he makes us beautiful, and he's restoring that imago Dei inside of us. So what is Jesus doing? He's renewing our desires. He's renewed our standing with him. I'm no longer under the wrath of God. I'm being renewed in who he is. He's renewing the words that I would use. And last thing, and I will just touch briefly on this, in verse 11, he's renewing the relationships that we have, restored, renewed relationships. Notice the variety of the relationships here in verse 11. Here, where's here? family of God, the body of Christ. Here, here, look around. We should be different. Here there's no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. This is all about Jesus. The racial distinctions have been broken down. The religious distinctions have been broken down in Jesus. The cultural distinctions have been broken down in Jesus. The economic distinctions have been broken down in Jesus. All of these things have been broken down in Jesus because of who he is and what he's done for us. And by the way, if you go back and read the ending of of chapter 4, you're going to see a list and a variety of people in that list. Luke, a physician. Somewhere along the line, there's a, a runaway slave is in there. You have Epaphras, you have Tychicus, you have all of these, to Timothy, you have all of these variety of people living together under the umbrella of Jesus. And in Colossians chapter 1, he says, you are what? Faithful brothers. I'm writing to the faithful brothers and sisters. All of us are brothers and sisters in Jesus because Jesus is all and he's in all. And all of those distinctions have been broken down. And we should be different. He's restoring the image of God in you. He's restoring the image of God in me. And because of that, we're different. And because of that, we act differently. I want to close with this. It's a quote from Tertullian. He lived around 160 uh, to 20 AD. He was one of the church fathers. And he said something interesting. And I thought it kind of applies. I mean, 2,000 years ago, 
You think it would apply? It seems to apply here. He wrote this about early Christians. We don't take the gifts and spend them on feasts, drinking bouts, or fancy restaurants. Instead, we use them to support and bury poor people, to supply the needs of boys and girls who have no means or no parents. We support the elderly confined and out of their homes. We also help those who have suffered shipwreck. And if there happen to be any in the mines or banished in the islands or shut up in the prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they then become the nurslings of the confession they hold as we take them in and help them. Primarily, it is the acts of love that are so noble that lead many to put a brand on us, to put a brand on us that says what? See how they love one another. That's how we are radically different on the inside. And that's the great privilege you and I have of of operating in the family of God. You cannot do this in your strength. I cannot do this in my own strength. But I can do this because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And what he's doing is renewing me in the very image of God and he's renewing you in the very image of God. My personal life, my family, my friendships, my connections with people all around, that's what he wants to do. He's renewing us and making us. He's taking that, whatever you're, that, that, bass, that bass guitar and he's saying, what I'm going to do is you're like that bass guitar. It had all these things. I, I'm going to make something new and glorious and wonderful and beautiful for your future, if you'll trust me for it. Lord, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Thank you that in Christ alone we have all the blessings. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Father, I need the word of God in my life. Father, I need an anchor for my soul. I need an anchor that tells me and reminds me of who you are, the beauty of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, that he went to the cross, he offered himself as a sacrifice for my sins so that I would have a new way of living my life. And Father, I thank you. Father, thank you for the Spirit of God who convicts me, the Spirit of God who points me to truth. Thank you for faithful family and friends who point me to the way of Jesus. Father, may we live for the honor, the glory of who you are, what you've done for us. Father, we love you. We trust what you're doing in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.